If you're new with us, we are working our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. We're in a marvelous passage today. Every, every passage is marvelous in Luke. Um, but let's pray for eyes to see the, the wonder of this passage. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would stand forth from your word today, that we may see you for who you are with more clarity, filling us with more adoration, filling us with more anticipation of seeing you face to face. Come today and bless your church. Speak to your people. We thank you for your cleansing, for your forgiveness, for giving us access to the Father. Bless your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A good bit of research has gone on in uh, recent years related to, uh, recent months, uh, related to various trends about people uh, working from home these days. And I don't know if uh, the pandemic in these last couple of years has made that a reality for you, but I found this uh, recent article in Forbes uh, very interesting. Uh, I find these lights very interesting as well. Um, the, The article is entitled, Less Deodorant, Fewer Showers, No Makeup, The Nine Extra Minutes Some Americans Sneak by Working Remote. And according to this new uh, study of some 4,000 workers from home, people are now spending nine fewer minutes on personal grooming when they're not commuting as they cut deodorant, shaving, and brushing their teeth on the days they don't travel to the office. I don't know if anybody here is grooming less uh, in in recent months. Uh, Brushing your teeth is relatively stable, thank God, says Professor Bloom of Stanford. Bloom and his colleagues found that 95% of people said they brushed their teeth on commuting days compared to 91% on remote days. But just 82% said that they wore deodorant while working from home compared with 93% on commuting days. And only 72% said that they wore fresh clothes when working from home. One writer said, I'm glad that there is no scent component on Zoom only the audio and video. Well, I'm not sure if that article hits home for you or not. Maybe you're enjoying the less hygienic way of life these days, um, or maybe it's created the need for marital counseling uh, in your home. Uh, but the, per- the person we meet in Luke's gospel in this first story had more than a hygiene problem. Uh, Axe body spray couldn't deal with this particular guy. He is a leper. And a leper in first century Galilee had a miserable existence. He had to walk around shouting, unclean, unclean. He could not be around anyone. He had to live in complete isolation. Can you imagine? And can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus Christ cleanse you immediately from that condition and bring you to total restoration? Walker Piercy writes, we love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. We love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. Jesus meets a leper. He meets those with other infirmities in the text. And then he meets a paralytic. And he doesn't turn his face away. He does more than that. He shows compassion to them and he changes their lives. You know, it's tempting for us to think about Jesus as this one-dimensional figure 
who's known for only one particular attribute. But the wonderful thing about the gospel writers, including Luke here in front of us, is that he continues to show us this full-orbed portrait of Christ. In, in the previous text on the miraculous catch of fish, we marveled at Jesus being Lord over nature, marveled at his authority in this moment. And here we, we continue to marvel at his authority, namely to forgive sins, but what's also on display here is the amazing compassion of Jesus. And what's on display here is the, the, this sign that the Messianic age has dawned. You know, later in uh, Luke 7, uh, John the Baptist is in prison and he, he comes with, uh, he come with a question. And they say, John wants to know if you're the Messiah or not. And Jesus' response was this, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed. We have in front of us two particular miracles that put on display the kingdom that is to come, where there are no more lame people, and no more lepers, and no more shame. Now these stories may seem like they follow each other at random, but I, I don't think that's the case because of the passage I just mentioned. This is the sign that the kingdom has dawned. But it's also uh, two stories that are linked together, not only by Jesus' ability to heal bodies, but by Jesus' ability to forgive sin. That's really clear in the, in the second story as Jesus forgives this paralytic man. But leprosy was also associated with sin and shame. And Jesus removes the shame, and this removal of the shame by re removing the leprosy betokens the forgiveness of sin. Now these, these two stories about forgiveness and cleansing, very important for today's world. For many reasons, I'll just mention a few of them. One, many in today's world do not see their need for the forgiveness of sins. In today's progressive society, everything is permissible, except telling someone that something is not permissible. No one has the right to call anything sinful, and so in today's world, sin is normalized. This is the your truth generation, and you do you generation. And to experience the forgiveness of sin, you actually have to acknowledge you have sin. To experience the cleansing that we need from sin, we have to acknowledge that we need cleansing. Jesus obviously assumes sin, and he deals with it. Now, the second problem is that some people, while acknowledging sin, think that they've done too many horrible things to actually experience the forgiveness of sin. It's too good to be true. To which we say, welcome to the gospel, right? I want you to see here in these stories that no person is too dirty or too filthy to come to Jesus for cleansing and forgiveness. He can cleanse and purify anyone. He covers shame. He gives us his righteousness. So this story reminds us of that. It gives us great hope. And this story, these stories are, are really also, um, they set a pattern for us as Christ followers. On the one hand, we see in Jesus' ministry to the leper that we should be people who minister also to the untouchables. And we see in Jesus' ability to forgive sin that we who have been forgiven much should also forgive others. That his forgiveness of us is the basis, the foundation for a life of forgiveness that we show. He has, he has forgiven us a debt we could never repay. Therefore, we forgive people of minor offenses compared to what he has done on our behalf. That's easy to say, it's very hard to do. 
But hopefully today's text would encourage us in that direction. So just these two stories under two simple headings, Jesus' cleansing and Jesus' forgiveness. We begin with this short story of the leper. As Jesus does the unthinkable in touching this guy and healing this guy. The Greek word here for leprosy, lepra, refers to a variety of skin diseases. Some of them would have been fatal, some of them not. Some translations don't call it leprosy, they translate lepra as skin disease, and that would be accurate. So it's not technically limited to what we know today as Hansen's disease or, or uh, leprosy related to uh, that understanding. All you have to do is go into Leviticus 13 and 14 and note the, very, the, the variety of, of skin issues that uh, was under the category of uh, leprosy. Whatever the kind of condition this guy had, it is clear that his issue was severe, as Luke says that he not only had leprosy, but he was full of leprosy. You can imagine this sight, whatever form it took, it would have been something that would have taken us back. This man, as a result, would have been totally ostracized from community. This would have been a horrible experience socially and psychologically. He would have been unable to participate in the religious life of God's people. He would have been unable to be with his friends, with his spouse if he was married, with his family, unable to experience normal livelihood. One author put it, it was a living death to be a leper. The associations with ritual uncleanness also carried this association with sin. So not only was he isolated and, and, and affected socially and psychologically, he was affected spiritually. Leviticus 14 details what happens if the condition were to pass, but the priests were not ever expected to heal lepers. The priest could pronounce one clean from leprosy, but it was believed that only God could heal lepers. Now you can imagine today, we can relate some to the untouchable context in societies. We've heard of the untouchables in India. Some of you have been there and seen it. Now, various members of the lowest caste system uh, in uh, the Hindu community are outcasts. They live outside the normal social web of relationships that are shunned and insulted, banned from the temple, and so on. I've been in Nigeria before, about 12 or 13 years ago. We went to a leper colony, and it was the same situation. The kids couldn't go to school. Uh, the people lived totally isolated lives, very miserable existence. And here is this untouchable guy, excluded from God's people. His attire was supposed to suggest a period of mourning, walking around saying unclean, no attending the synagogue, no morning coffee with his spouse, no hugs from his family. Now, there are a number of surprising things that happens in this story. First of all, the first surprising thing is this man comes to Jesus. We're not told much about the context here, but this man took a risk. He's breaking all the rules. <laughs> And you can imagine this scene as people are packed around Jesus, and then they see this leper, and then they part like the Red Sea, and you can imagine him walking down the aisle, as it were, to Jesus with all eyes fixed on Jesus to see what he would do. He's breaking the, the confines of the law of Leviticus. He's breaking ordinary etiquette. 
but he believes Jesus can cleanse him. Or at least he's hoping that he can. He's hoping that he's willing to cleanse him. Now the question is, how did this leper even know this? Because he is to be totally isolated. I mean, this was a real quarantine to to be a leper. And yet, somehow he hears of Jesus. There's no indication up to this point that Jesus has ever cleansed a leper. There's no leper, you know, Facebook group uh, communicating to each other. Somehow word got to him. We don't know why, and that's why I call it a surprising fact of the story. Maybe someone took the leper some food, put it on the edge of his, wherever he was living, and maybe a note. Hey, maybe Jesus can deal with you. Now, the second surprising thing in the story is that not only does Jesus heal him, he touches him. You see that? And Jesus stretched out his hand, verse 13, and touched him and said, I will be clean. This was unthinkable because of uh, cleanliness laws, but it was also believed that this condition was contagious, which is another reason why no one would touch a leper. But even more fascinating is the fact that Jesus did not need to touch him to heal him. Jesus spoke creation into existence. He could just spoke in this cleansing to this leper. And various miracles, right? He, he just speaks, and his word does the work. But here, Jesus also touches this man. Think about it. The only touch that this leper would have received would have been from fellow lepers. And now the Son of God, the Son of Man, demonstrates in a practical way not only that he has the power to heal this man, but that he cares for him also. You know that? What a picture of compassion. Jesus not only forgives us, but he cares for us. It's not just like you're, in, you're, you're, you're not guilty, now move on. It is the arm around the shoulder. And immediately his leprosy left him. Just like that. You know, in the story of Naaman, uh, being a leper was approximate to the, to, or healing a leper was approximate to raising the dead. And that is what we see Jesus doing in this moment, healing him from a walking death. The kingdom of God has arrived because the king is here. And he has healed this leper, he has touched this leper. This leper has brand new skin. Another sign of the messianic age when we will not only have new hair, but new skin. (laughs) Praise be to God. Praise be to God, right? The third surprising thing about this story is that Jesus tells this man not to say anything. Verse 14, after he heals him, he says, tell no one. How could you contain that? You're living this miserable existence with no love and no care. You probably thought about suicide regularly. And Jesus heals you, and he says, don't go tell anyone. It's very fascinating. Now, the, the, the reason why, we're not exactly sure, but based on the rest of the text, as his fame is spreading, I think Jesus uh, knew that there, there, there was a good bit of messianic misunderstanding about him, that more of the story needed to be told. In other words, he was not just a miracle worker. He came to do something more than just heal physical bodies. He came to deal with us and our soul in eternity. At any rate, he tells him not to tell anyone, but he does tell him this fourth surprising truth in the story, to go tell the priest 
and make an offering for his cleansing. And this is kind of surprising because you, you would expect in some way for Jesus just to say, oh, don't worry about all that Leviticus stuff. But he is able to heal this man and also honor God's law, a theme that we see throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke. You see, it was the priest that was to give this healed person a clean bill of health, as, uh, you know, so that he could rejoin his, his family. And so Jesus tells him to fulfill the stipulations of the law, and the, the fulfilling of this would provide authentication from the priest, the official one, that he was now clean and able to, to go back into society. The guy couldn't just show up at home and say, honey, I'm home. He had to jump through these, uh, the, these hoops. He couldn't, he couldn't get out of quarantine without the priest. He needed a negative leprosy test to get out of, uh, get out of uh, quarantine. And it was quite a process. It was a week-long process. Again, you can read this in Leviticus 13 and 14 that, that involved a good bit of sacrifices that pictured the removal of sin and God's cleansing. This had to be quite a celebration for this man. Now, up to this point, we've talked about the, the, the story. What does this have to do with us? Well, this is a powerful picture, my friends, of the gospel. Our condition was awful. Ephesians chapter 2, we read it earlier, right? But for those who recognize their desperate need for Christ, he supplies forgiveness, healing. He restores us. Ponder in this story the grace of Jesus as this man falls before Jesus. A picture of how we come to Christ. Not meriting forgiveness and cleansing. But we fall before him and Jesus, by his grace, heals us. And you notice in the story that, that Jesus doesn't become unclean by touching the unclean person. Because Jesus is different, as Phil Ryken put it well. Just as Jesus took away the man's disease and transferred healthy skin to his ailing body, so Jesus takes away the sin of every penitent sinner and imputes to us his saving righteousness. He's not contaminated. His righteousness is transferred to us. We see the compassion of Jesus. And not only forgives us, but he loves us. He's not horrified by this man, and he's not horrified by you. He dignifies this man, just as he dignifies us in the gospel. He touches untouchables. <laughs> and see the power of Jesus here. Just one touch, and immediately he is cleansed. So let's believe on Jesus today. Whatever is troubling your conscience... Whatever is grieving your heart, whatever is making you anxious, Jesus is able to touch us in the hurting places and heal us. And don't you love that he's willing to do this? Man, the, the guy doesn't ask, Jesus, are you capable? He says, are you willing? And I think if you've been around the Bible, you've been around the church, you know he's capable. But is he willing? And Jesus looks and he says, I will. If we have experienced cleansing today, it is because Jesus willingly gave it to us. And so if you stay in your sins, it is not the fault of Jesus. He is willing to forgive your sins. He stands as Nehemiah says, ready to forgive. What a text. 
Well, big crowds are pressing in, verses 15 and 16, and again you see this pattern that Jesus departs to desolate places to pray. The more demands that were placed on Jesus, the more need he had of prayer. Similar to uh, Luther who, who said one time, I have so much do, to do, I've got to pray for three hours today. Jesus had to get away from the crowds and pray. And I think we see a good pattern here for prayer. There are times in which we pray spontaneously as needs arise, and times also for regular disciplined prayer. Like if we don't schedule the prayer, if we don't have a discipline of it, chances are we won't do much of it. Like we, we need spontaneous prayer as things pop up. As a friend told me this past week, I just woke up thinking about planting a church in Milwaukee. And so I started praying about it. He said, now, it may have been because I was watching reruns of Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley uh, the night before, but, but I had Milwaukee on my mind, and I started praying about Milwaukee. Well, sometimes things pop up and we pray, but there's here the pattern of Jesus, like, I've got to get away. I've got to have time. So Jesus cleanses. Now, secondly, quickly, Jesus forgives. This next story is probably familiar to you if you've been around the, 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 the church at all as we see it in, in other Gospels, uh, but it's a story of Jesus in this uh, small kind of house church gathering. It's not technically a church, but it's, it's similar to uh, a group of people that would have been maybe 75 people or so packed in a house. Picture a massive growth group, uh, just packed in the house. Only Jesus is at your growth group. You'd probably let him teach, uh, wouldn't you, and make dinner. Um, but here he is, and the place is just electric because of the popularity of Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 17 that the Lord was with him to heal. And so a lot of people are being attracted to Jesus. He's teaching, verse 17, and not everybody who is in the house is actually buying what Jesus is saying. Because we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were there. It's a good reminder for us that uh, a crowd doesn't equal a church. There are a lot of people that could be around the church, but not in Christ. As my friend puts it well, sticking your head in a church building doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in an oven makes you a biscuit. Like you, you need more than simply to be in the room. Um, it's, a, it's an inside out sort of thing, not an outside in sort of thing. A lot of people are in the house as Jesus is teaching, but they're not into Jesus yet. Some are interested, some are bothered by Jesus. And then you've got these individuals, other gospel writer tells us, four guys who have their friend and they believe that Jesus has the ability to heal him. And so they obviously love this man. I think there's a great, beautiful picture here of, of what we want to do for our friends. We want to lead them to Jesus, we want to bring them to Jesus. It's kind of a, a, a great illustration of letting your request be made known to God. <laughs> Here's our request. We drop him through the roof. Uh, we're letting it be known to you, Jesus. Uh, here, here is our prayer request, right? Now, they expect Jesus to do something, but not what he does. They expect Jesus to heal the guy. But what does Jesus say in verse 20? Man, your sins are forgiven. Well, we didn't come for that. We came to walk. And Jesus says, you have a greater need than your physical body. He goes deeper. He goes to the issue of forgiveness. And that's a good reminder for us today. Our greatest need 
as not our physical bodies, as good as it is to pray for healing and knowing that God does at times do that. Our greatest need is to have the forgiveness of sins. Your greatest need is not to have a date on Valentine's Day or Single Awareness Day, as I used to call it for years, right? Or to get your diploma, all fine and good, but to have your sins forgiven. Because you know you can have physical health and not an abundant life. And you can have a, a, a hurt body, a sick body, but still experience satisfaction in your soul if you have Jesus. So Jesus here then asserts his deity, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the critics say in verse 21, Who can forgive sins but God alone? They hate it. They have to say something. I mean, Jesus is all up in the midst. He's all up in their, their space, this crowded little house, as Jesus is preaching. And so the religious leaders have to say something. It kind of reminds me of the scene in uh, Hoosiers, the basketball movie, when Norman Dale goes in to coach this team where basketball is everything in this small town, and the, 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 the parents don't like the new coach. It's a great training for being a pastor, by the way, to watch that movie. And this, this parent goes in, this guy, and he says, Mister, the way I see it, there are two kinds of dumb. There's the guy who gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon, and the guy who does the same thing in your living room. The first you can mostly ignore. The second, you're sort of forced to deal with it. And they're saying to the new coach, you're coming in our space. You're in our living room. We've got to say something. And that's what you see happening. This is what the first of what they call the controversy stories in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees are spying on Jesus. They're like the angry parent at the coach. They don't like the new teacher who is in town, who's doing things and saying things that only God could say and do. And so they're actually right in their question, aren't they? God alone can forgive sins, and he was in their midst. Now, that's a remarkable claim from Jesus, and it's really important, as the skeptics wrongly assert uh, today, that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Gospels. Well, that's, that's not a good way to read the Bible. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. I mean the claim to forgive sins, any sins. Now, unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comic. We can all understand how a man forgives offenses against himself. You tread on my toes, and I forgive you. You steal money, and I forgive you. But what should we make of a man himself unrobbed and untrodden on who announced that he forgave you for treading on other men's toes and stealing other men's money? Yet this is what Jesus did. He told people that their sins were forgiven and he never waited to consult all the other people whom their sins had undoubtedly injured. He unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned the person chiefly offended in all offenses. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. He says, your sins are forgiven, and I am the Son of God. I can forgive them. I am the one chiefly offended. You've got to do something with that. Well, the critics do something, as they say, as he perceives in their hearts, to say, 
Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easy to, easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now, if we're just looking at this at face value, I think we would say the harder thing is to say, your sins are forgiven because how do you know, right? But if you say you're, you're, it's easier to rise and walk, that would be a miracle. There would be visible proof that a miracle has taken place. But Jesus is saying one is more important, one is harder. There's only one who can do it. And it's a greater act. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, let me just demonstrate the fact that I do have authority. And he says to the man who was paralyzed, I say, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What an amazing story. This guy comes to the scene lying on a mat, and he leaves carrying his mat. Can you imagine the expression when he got home? Just dancing around, running, entering the 5K in Capernaum. <laughs> it's the sign of the messianic age. The new creation will come when there will be no more paralytics, no more lepers, no more death. Jesus says, I'll do the healing thing so that you'll believe I can do the forgiving thing. He is providing for us a picture of the kingdom of God. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 35, then the lame will leap like the deer. And I got to imagine this guy leaping. The story of the paralytic reminds me of Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And the psalmist says, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Jesus does that. So my friends, as I conclude, come to Jesus and Jesus alone for the cleansing you need, for the forgiveness that you need. You're not going to find this in any other religion. You're not going to find it anywhere else. What you'll be met with is a ridiculous list of rules that will be given to you in effort to merit God's forgiveness and paradise or eternal life. But Jesus can meet this need and he immediately forgives those who respond in repentance and faith. Our sin is against God, and only God can forgive them. And Jesus is willing to forgive. He has the authority to forgive. He did what needed to happen to forgive, namely die on the cross, as he traded places for, with us. The one who was clean became unclean so that we might become clean. The one who, who had, had no sin, as Paul says, took our place and gave us his righteousness. Remember, we're not hiding any sin. This text here says that Jesus perceives their thoughts. He knows not only what we've done, he knows our thoughts. This is, this is mega awareness. He's omniscient. So what do we do with that reality? We go to the one who can forgive all of our actions and all of our thoughts and all of our motives. That's how full his forgiveness is. It's a free forgiveness. And it's the kind of forgiveness that should cause us to praise Jesus today. As he says later in a story about uh, forgiving a, 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 what was Luke calls a sinful woman, we don't know exactly what she did. Whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. When you recognize the depth of forgiveness that you have received, it calls forth adoration and love to the Savior. I don't know about you, but I've been forgiven much. How would you like for people to know your thoughts? 
That sounds horrible, wouldn't it? Like, I'd be in quarantine from people just so I would never have to face them. Uh, and Jesus has forgiven us. He cleanses us. Therefore, let's forgive others. Let, let's take Paul's words in Ephesians 4, that those who have received forgiveness be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving others as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. How has he forgiven us? Fully. Freely. And let's follow Jesus as we minister to whoever the untouchables of society are. Let's be quick to minister to the physically wounded, the emotionally wounded, the sin sick of society. Let's bring the good news about Jesus to them with compassion. Knowing that one day there will be a great gathering of, rede of the redeemed who have been forgiven and cleansed by Jesus and we will all be there from every tribe, tongue, people, and language testifying to his compassion, testifying to his power. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of us joining in, verse 26, of glorifying God with awe, saying that we have seen extraordinary things, and we have. Let's thank God for his word today. Father, we pray today that you would write these truths upon our hearts to believe that Jesus not only has the power to cleanse, but that he also cares for us. He's able to touch us in the wounded areas of our lives and bring healing. I pray that we would be quick to bring our friends to Jesus, just as these four guys did. I pray that we would recognize what we have been forgiven, what we've been forgiven of, and respond to that grace and mercy with awe and adoration. We pray that you would enable us to be faithful ministers that are not ashamed of going in places and ministering the good news to people, but that you would even call many from our midst to go to hard places, to minister the healing balm of the gospel to those who are wounded. Even this week, I pray you would make us those kind of ministers to one another, to our coworkers, to our family, to our neighbors. Jesus, we want to follow you in your ways by your power, and we pray this in your good name. Amen.